I've been speaking on Sunday morning about um, Jesus is truth. And I spoke about he's the truth about life. And he's the truth about death and resurrection. And I'm going to continue in the days to come. Talk about Jesus is the truth about heaven and hell. Jesus is the truth about his return to earth. Jesus is the truth about relationships. I'm excited about the truth that Jesus spoke. God said in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. But today, I'm going in another direction as a result of an experience that I had this week that really caused me to wrestle with God. And um, what God showed me as I wrestled with him about this uh, is perhaps one of the most important messages I could ever bring. And I don't know of a more needed message, not only in the church, but outside the church. So I'm just praying today that God will give you ears to hear, a heart to understand, and a will to obey. Now, the tendency would be for you to apply this message to someone else. No, that you need to know it's for you. You know, as I prayed and wrestled with the message that I was to speak Friday at a funeral of a 32-year-old young man that I had known in his younger years who had died of an overdose of drugs. It was an accidental death. He shot heroin into his veins. Obviously, it was too, it was powerful and strong and stopped his heart immediately and he fell on his face and was dead. As I stood and looked at him in the casket on Friday, I had all kinds of emotions that went through me. As we were praying Friday night, I was standing right here. And God brought back to me the picture of this young man. And I just began to weep uncontrollably. And as I wrestled about this, he said, The Holy Spirit said to me, you know, I had a plan for his life. He said, I have a plan for every life. But you know, Satan, the demons, the world system, cut his life short. And he never was able to fulfill the plan that God had for him. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. And you know, um, I want to share with you the truths. And it's just like God just let me get a picture of his plan for every one of you in this congregation. And of his plan for all the people around us. His plan for our children and our grandchildren. Just kind of let us Let me see a plan. And the thing that he spoke to me was that God has a personal plan and a definite will for every person ever conceived in the mother's womb, 
and ever born into this world. Nobody is an accident. No one is born without meaning. When God allows conception to occur and birth to occur, I'm telling you, God has a plan for that life. He has a purpose for that. No accident. And he has a will for that life. In fact, the Bible says, and I want you to let this get into your heart, that in our mother's womb we were covered by God. Listen to Psalm 139, 13. Now now listen to this. You formed me. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I am, I, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very sure. What a picture. God, you were there, and you covered me. Man, you had a purpose for my life. You had a plan for my life. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not an accident. I'm not junk. I'm created by a loving and holy God. But then he goes on down. And this is what I want you to see. In verse 16, about God's purpose and God's will. You saw my substance being yet unformed. All my body parts had not been in place. You saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were written. The the days fashioned for me when there was yet none of them. God, before all of my inward parts came together, you wrote in heaven what your will was for my life. You recorded in the book what your plan was for my life while my substance was still being formed. Do you realize that every person is unique? And you know how we've come to realize is because of the discovery of DNA. We used to identify people, their identity by fingerprints. But now, nobody has the same DNA you have. There have been billions of people born on this earth. But your DNA, you're the only person that ever had that. That's how they identify people today. It's 99% accurate. And so we realize that God has a purpose and a plan for our life and that it was there in the very beginning. And what God has already written in heaven about us. We need to live out on earth. God has a will, and God has a plan. It's recorded in his book. And I remember hearing Manly Beasley say, be so close to God that you can live out on earth what God has written on you about you in heaven. And you know what came to me? The Lord's Prayer is a very personal prayer. We pray it corporately, you know, but it talks about daily bread. It talks about forgiving me of my trespasses. 
But oh, in the Lord's Prayer it says, Father, as you give me your daily bread, my daily bread, and as you forgive me, by the way, I want your kingdom to come and you will, your will to be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. God, I, I want to live out on earth. The fullness of your plan that was written to me in heaven when I was in my mother's womb. It's very personal. But now let me just share this with you. I am absolutely convinced that there's a battle raging for you and I to fulfill the plan of God and the purpose of God for our life. There is a war in every individual's life to fulfill the purpose and plan that God has for you. You say, Brother Fred, I'm insignificant. That's a lie. I'm just one person. I can make no difference. That's a lie. When God, you were conceived in your mother's womb, and God wrote in, in, in heaven your plan for you to live out on earth, the Bible says that the will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And the Bible says the will of God is eternal. So you don't realize how important your life is in the plan of God on this earth. And there's a battle raging to keep you from fulfilling the will of God. There's a battle raging to keep you from living out on earth what God has written of you in heaven. Now I want to give you the verse that shows the battle. Jesus said in John 10, 10. Now I want you to listen to the battle. This verse, I see it now like I've never seen it. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief who is the devil. You know, he stole that 32-year-old boy's life. He stole it. He stole it. The thief comes to steal, to kill. He killed him. And to destroy. Does that sound like an enemy? Does that sound like a battle raging for your life and mine? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus said, but I have come. That you might have life. And have it more abundantly. I have come to give you the power to live out on earth. What was written by God, in God's book about you in heaven. I have come that you might know the will of God and do the will of God and fulfill the plan of God for your life. Listen, God has a purpose for you and a plan. And the devil will do everything he can to rob you of your life. And there's a battle raging. And I begin to think, well, what's the battle? I really believe that the greatest tool at Satan's disposal today to rob people of the will of God 
And the plan of God is addiction. I believe it's addiction. In the case of this young man who I knew when he was younger, dearly loved his parents. At around 18, he, he lived a pretty normal life till he was 18. Then he made a choice and moved into the drug world. It was never the same again. And so his addiction was to drugs. But I got to thinking. When we think of addiction, we think of drugs or alcohol. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There are a multitude of things that you can be addicted to. A multitude. And it can rob you of God's plan and God's will just as much as drugs with a needle in your arm or a bottle to you out of your head. Addiction is absolutely, I believe, the tool that the enemy uses. I want you to listen uh, to what, now just think about this. In 2003, in the State of the Union address before Congress, President George W. Bush said these words, and I want you to listen. And the reason he could speak then because he knew what it was to be addicted because he had been addicted to alcohol. Listen to what he said. He says addiction will crowd out friendships, ambition, moral convictions, and reduces all the riches of life to a single destructive desire. Now, I want you to listen to it again. It says, addiction will crowd out friendships. It separates friends. Ambition. You lose all other ambition, and your ambition is to satisfy that addiction, whatever it is. And moral convictions. People who become addicted to things do things morally that they would never do. The addiction controls them, and the things that they know inherently are wrong, they go ahead and plunge into them. You say, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they're living that way. He said, it'll crowd out of your life friendships, ambition, moral convictions, and reduces the richness of life to one single evil desire. That is addiction. And that's what happened to this young man. From about 20 on, all he lived for. His father made a trip to Colorado. Spent 10 days pleading with him. Pouring his heart out to him. And he left there, having been turned away. You know, did you know Jesus warned us about addiction? Did you know he did that? Now, this is pretty strong stuff, but I'm going to tell you, it is so true. Did you know that Jesus said, you can become a slave of sin? Now, who wants to be a slave? (laughs) But he said it as plainly as he could. 
in John chapter 8, he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And he knew they were in bondage to their religion. And he warned them. He warned them. He said in John 8, 32, these words, he said, What well, is really John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Now he was talking to the Jews who had believed. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth. And this is what the truth will do. It'll set you free. Well, the Pharisees answered, well, listen. In verse 33, they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. You don't understand. We got a religious pedigree. We're Abraham's descendants. Have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you be made free? And listen to what he said. Most truly, in verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. It's called addiction. Whoever commits sin is a slave. Well, why did my son that I raised the way I did, how did he ever end up where he was or where he is? How did I ever get to the place in my life where the only thing that mattered to me was destroying everything around me? How how, how did I get to the place in my life that things that used to be important and, and things that I used to believe strongly I've just pushed aside in order to meet that evil desire in my heart. Whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. And you know, nobody said it as well as the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. I want you to listen to what he said. Man, it's strong. It is strong. And I pray that you'll believe what Paul said. In Romans 6, 16. Now listen to what he says. I'm talking about addiction. He said in verse 16 of Romans 6. Do you not know to whom you yield yourself servants to obey? Whoever you yield yourself to obey. You are, who, do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slave. Whether you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or obedience leading to righteousness. He said, now whatever you yield yourself to obey, that's the slave you become. If you yield yourself to sin, you become a slave of sin. If you yield yourself to obedience, you become a slave of righteousness. And listen to verse 13, verse 17 of Romans 6. God be thanked, you were the slaves of sin... But you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became a slave of righteousness. He said, you used to make wrong choices and it led to you to become a slave of sin. But you obeyed the word of God and you responded to the word of God. And the word of God set you free. And instead of being a slave of sin, you became a slave of righteousness. Having been set free, verse 18 says, you became slaves of righteousness. Now listen to verse 20. Oh. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. 
For when you were living in addiction, you were free from regard to righteousness. Now listen to this. What fruit did you have in those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, you look back when you made the choice. And little by little you became a slave of sin. And you look back on those days. And you book on that life. And you're ashamed. It said. It says. What fruit did you have in those things? Verse 21. Of which you're uh, now ashamed. So the Bible says. That. uh, We can make choices. And can go down a road. And we'll become addicted. Now the whole purpose of addiction. Go back to the beginning. God recorded in heaven his plan for your life. God recorded in heaven his will for your life. And so now Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the devil says, Jesus said, now the devil's a thief. He's a murderer. And he's a destroyer. And so what the battle is, are you going through the power of Jesus, fulfill what God has written of you in heaven, and live out the will of God And hear God say, well done. Or are you going to make choices? Or have you made choices that led you down another path? And you know, instead of having the fruit of righteousness. And having being a servant or slave of righteousness. You become a servant of sin. Or a slave of sin. You're out of control. You become addicted. Addiction. You know, addiction means you're out of control. It means that it crowds out of your life friendships. It takes away all the intent God put in you to do his will, ambition. It takes away your moral convictions. And you find yourself doing things you would never do to fulfill that evil desire. And it robs you of the richness of life. i tell you what, I got so angry. At seeing a nice-looking 32-year-old man robbed, killed. You say, but Brother Freddie made a choice, I know. We all make choices. But how many times have I said to you, Sin takes you further than you intended to go. It keeps you longer than you intended to stay. And it costs you more than you intended to pay. There's a verse in Proverbs. And then I want to talk to you about addiction, different kinds. This is a very sobering word. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21, I want you to listen to it. Because I want to, it's talking about the chains of addiction, how you get chained. Verse 21 of Proverbs 5. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his past. God sees you and he's looking at the road you're traveling. The ways of the Lord are before the eyes. The ways of men are before the eye of the Lord. And he ponders all their path. 
his own iniquities entrap the wicked man. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man. He is caught in the cords of his own sin. He's wrapped. He's caught in the cord. He's chained in the cords of his own sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. And the greatness of his folly shall he go astray. I think it. every one of us in our life probably at some time have battled some addiction. Maybe just for a season, but something that became more important to us than anything else. The thing that we really lived for, the thing that consumed our thoughts most of the time, the things that influenced our behavior. You know, um, When we think of addiction, we think of drugs. Well, they're an epidemic. 80% of all people in prison committed the crimes they committed under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Now, 8 out of 10, 8 out of 10 are locked up because they committed crimes under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Isn't Isn't it amazing the things people will do when they're hooked? They'll just shoot somebody in the head because they won't give them any money. They'll go into the convenience store and hit the clerk upside the head with the gun. They didn't have to do that. They could have just taken the money. You lose all sanity. You can't wait till the next shot. It's not just drugs. You know, it's amazing how many people are addicted to alcohol. You say alcohol is different from drugs. Look at me. It's the most abused drug in America. Oh, yeah. Can I tell you what the Bible says about, about alcohol? Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is a fool. What? Wine is a mocker? Strong drink is raging? And whoever is deceived thereby is a fool. You said you wake up in Proverbs and says you feel like you've been beaten all day. Like you've been battered in a shipwreck. But you get up and you go back to the same place. I went to eat the other day. And you know what on the back of a lady's t-shirt sitting at a bar? This was a restaurant. They just had, you know, you... You'd have to go to heaven to get away from a restaurant that doesn't have bars. She said, you really haven't been drinking all day till you start in the morning. That was on the back of her t-shirt. You really haven't been drinking all day unless you start in the morning. It was about 12 o'clock. She's sitting there drinking. She's, She's addicted. Hey, you can be addicted to pornography. You know, statistics tell me, and I don't know, you can make statistics say anything, that that's probably the greatest addiction in America, that it's killing more marriages, perverting more minds than any other thing. Because it it is as close as your iPhone, it is as close as your computer, it is as close 
as your television and where you used to have to go sleazy to a sleazy theater in a dark part of town to watch pornography? No, you can watch it in your bedroom. Your family can go to sleep and you can just cut it on and watch the worst filth that a person could ever imagine. And think of all the marriages. Think of what it is in, an insult it is to your wife for you to watch that when it is so perverted. And then it puts in your mind an image of that you think that that's the way it's supposed to be. It, it destroys, it destroys that which is sacred and intimate and holy to God. And it would amaze you, it would amaze you, the people, the men and women that go to church on Sundays that have been watching pornography during the week. I don't know if any of you do, but I just know that they're saying that in the surveys that they've taken. But I just know it's, I just know it's an epidemic. Let me tell you what somebody told me. I read this. That it's more addictive than drugs and alcohol, pornography, because you, it's visual. You see it with your eyes and the vision that is implanted in your brain and goes to a certain part of your brain and said since it's visual, that it's more addictive than drugs or alcohol. Then there are people that are addicted to illicit sex. In other words, sex in marriage is sacred and holy and wonderful. But, you know, the world has said, no, no, you've got to have an affair. My wife was in a restaurant one time and happened to go in the ladies' restroom. I didn't go in there. She happened to go in the ladies' restroom. <laughs> and she heard a lady in the other stall, and she knew who she was. And this is what she said, I need to have a good affair. That's the exact word she said. I knew the lady. My wife came out and told me. I said, well, she will, but it ain't going to be good. <laughs> Addiction. An evil desire that controls your life. You know, see, what I'm, why, why am I doing this? I'm just warning you that if you commit sin, you become the slave of sin. You soon will be chained by the cords of your own sin. This young man did not have to die. His daddy spent 10 days pleading with him, pleading with him. What has God got to do to get your attention to let you know that the devil steals, kills, and destroys? And that he wants to rob you of God's purpose plan and purpose and plan for your life that was conceived in you when was there at conception. What does it take for God to get our attention? I have seen people who literally were addicted to bitterness. They had been hurt by a husband or a wife or a family or a friend or a mama or a daddy. And they got up in the morning and they, their every thought and desire was how they had been wronged. And they could never get loose from that bitterness. They were addicted to that as anything. And the Bible warns us, beware lest there be in any of you a root of bitterness and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness doesn't just defile you. It defiles everybody around you. I've seen people addicted to unforgiveness. When Jesus said, forgive as, I've, as, as my father and I have forgiven you, you forgive. They're addicted to anger, anger, rage inside of them. I, I'll tell you the truth, man. I, I've learned to be very careful when I'm driving when I'm in my sound mind, I'm being careful when I'm driving 
Because people, there are people who come up behind you. And, and man, I, I pulled out a little uh, uh, in front of a guy. I thought I had plenty of room. I didn't know he was going so fast. Well, boy, when he came by me, he, he blew the horn and he showed, did something he should not have done. And I did not respond at all because I know he's ready to come up and shoot me if he could. Rage. Just full of rage. Come on, man. Rage. It's what it is. It's rage. And you're addicted to it. You're controlled by your anger. Covetousness. Greed. You know how much money a person who's covetous and greedy wants? How many more dollars he wants? One more. Never satisfied. And you know, when you get covetousness and greedy, you'll lie and you'll steal and you'll cheat. Oh, oh it, it may be under the table. It may be white collar. But when you got covetous and you're addicted to money and you're addicted to things, it's amazing how you'll just, it'll take away your moral convictions and you'll be controlled by that evil desire. I never have enough. Well, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. It's already written in heaven. Jesus came so you could fulfill that purpose. But the enemy's tool is to get you addicted, to get something, some sin in your life that you become a slave of and you become a servant of, and it rules your life, and you never get where God wants you to be. I'm telling you, I have been pastoring for more years than I, I, I can remember. And I look back now at all the people who heard the truth, who knew the truth, and then all of a sudden what had been going on in their hearts and minds would take over and they would make a choice and start going down a road and they were absolutely addicted and bound by the particular sin that they went into and they lost all reason and there's no, you tried to reach them you pleaded with them you reached out to them uh, everybody and, but but they wouldn't hear it you know they, they they just shut their ears because they were controlled by that evil desire that was robbing them of the richness of life well i want to close by saying how do you break the chains of addiction how do you break the chains of addiction? Obviously, it's not easy. <laughs> you, 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 you know that uh, there are times in your life when you have made some choices and you'd say, God, I'm never going to do that again. And that was your full intent, but you did. You said, God, I'm never going to go there again, and that was your full intent, but you did. And we, we know there are times when we made choices and, and, and we wrapped a cord around and a cord around and a cord around and soon we were chained and we started trying to break away and it was so hard to break away. I, I, I want to just share with you, just, I'm going to just go name them. And, and you, you, first of all, you have to admit the reality of addiction in your life. If there's anything that rules you other than God, you're addicted to it. You have to admit the reality that controls my thinking, that controls my action, it controls every way I respond to people. You've got to admit when you are out of control. You have got to admit. Somebody told me this. He was talking to this guy about why he was drinking all the time. And he said, 
because it, it makes it enables me to have fun. Oh, it does. He said, well, let me ask you a question. Could you have fun without drinking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I could. He said, well, do it. And he found out he couldn't do it. You know, so you've got to admit that you've got areas of your life that are out of control. You've got to recognize that that has become your idol. The Bible says in 1 John, talking to Christians, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I said, Lord, why did you put that in there? That's the last book in the verse in the book of 1 John that talks about how you know you can save. He said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, that which you love the most, that which controls you, that which drives you, that, that's a, whatever your passion is, that's your idol. So admit that this addiction has become your idol. It's more important to you than anything else. Now, you've got to be honest. I, I don't know. you just got to be honest. And then you've got to realize that that addiction is a sin. Well, I was born that way. It's genetic. No, it isn't. Oh, yeah, well, by the way, it is genetic. You were born with a sinful nature. But Jesus took that sinful nature to the cross and broke its power. Listen to Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we no longer be the slaves of sin. The only person that can set you free from addiction is Jesus Christ because he broke its power on the cross. It says, for our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. Jesus said, I broke the chains on the cross. So you've got to repent. God, this is a sin. I never thought I'd, it'd get me where I am, but I repent. And that means I not only agree with you it's a sin, I, I turn away from it by your power. Now, when you're addicted, you've got to have God's power. i tell you that right now. You can't do it without God's power. Just forget that. Forget it. So you repent of your sin and call it sin and say, God, I don't want it in my life. Take it out of my life. Take it out of my life. Then you surrender every area of your life to Jesus Christ. In other words, you admit you've got an addiction. You recognize that it's wicked and ungodly. It's your idol. You repent. Ask God to take it out of your life. Jesus said, I came, Luke 4, 18, what does it say? I came to do what? Deliver the who? The captives. He came to deliver you. I came to deliver the captives. And you've got to repent, and then you've got to surrender every area of your life to Jesus. I mean, every area. And this is the big thing. You've got to put out everything in your life that feeds or supports that addiction. You've got to put out of your life everything that feeds or supports that addiction. Had a friend of mine who had an employee who was addicted to illicit sex. He sent him to the best sex therapist who was a Christian in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And he told him, he said, now, 
These are the parameters you've got to put in your life. These are the things you've got to put out. These are the doors you've got to lock. These are the things that you have to do in order to get free from this. You can, you've got to get out of your life everything that supports that addiction. He never did it. He went. Employer paid thousands of dollars. He'd go right back. He never did what he was told to do. He never really repented. He never saw it as his idol. He never repented and turned to Jesus and surrendered to him. And he continued on and it cost him everything. You got to surrender every area of your life to Christ. And you got to seek, you got to seek encouragement. Now stay with me. Encouragement and help from your friends. And sometimes you may need professional help from a Christian, not a non-Christian. You may need, to, you just may need to go to someone who's a Christian, who is trained to deal with addiction and trained to help you walk out of where you are and get through where you are. But you say, Brother Fred, that's humbling. That's humbling. Just let me say one thing. Sometimes you have to get to the bottom before you'll ever look up. My prayer is that you won't wait till you're at the bottom. That you'll say, you know, this is not going to destroy me. It's not going to steal me of the will of God in my life. And I, hey, you know one of the most humbling things a person can do? Is go to the home of, uh, to the mission of hope. Or go to the home of grace for women in Sarah Land. That's for, or, or to go to other places where you get. What are you saying? I admit that I have a need and I need help. Boy, that, you're not going to get help till you admit you need it. You know what James 5, 16 says? And this doesn't mean you go around and telling everybody about your sin. But it means there comes a time in your life that you need somebody to pray for you. And you know you can trust them. It says here in verse 16 of James 5, confess your, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You go to a brother and you know you can trust him and know he's not going to go and gossip about it. It's between you and him and God. And you bring it out of the darkness and you put it in the light. And you say, listen, this, I need for you to pray with me about this. I'm in trouble with this thing. It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then you've got to saturate your mind with the word of God. You just got to get full of the word of God. And then you got to get a warfare prayer booklet and start praying the warfare praying every day. So how do you get free from the chains of addiction? Admit, it, admit that you are an addict. You say, but Brother Fred, I don't use drugs or alcohol. Well, pornography, illicit sex, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. You can be, even be addicted to food. I wasn't going to mention that, but I went ahead and mentioned it. You know, you can be. Then you repent of it and say it, it's an idol. You surrender every area of your life to Jesus. You put out of your life everything that supports and uh, uh, feeds that addiction. You seek the help and counsel of encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. You ask for their prayer. Saturate your mind with the, with the word of God and use a warfare prayer booklet. There's a battle going on. 
John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy through addiction. But I have come, Jesus said, that you might have life. And you might have it more abundantly. But you have a choice. What will you do?